They say the best things in life are free. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus states, freely you've received, freely give. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. We are a not-for-profit adult religious re-education ministry, helping folks rediscover and understand the teachings of the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you'd like to help us do what we do, I'll tell you how you can become a supporter of Renewed Heart Ministries after this. But for now, it's our hope that as you listen, your heart will be renewed, and inspired to embody the beautiful values and teachings of the Jesus story. Till the only world that remains is a world where love reigns. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this week's weekly podcast. Our feature text this week is Sayings Gospel Q, uh, 629 through 30. The one who slaps you on the cheek, offer him the other as well. And to the person wanting to take you to court and get your shirt, turn over to him the coat as well. And the one who conscripts you for one mile, go with him a second To the one who asks of you, give, and from the one who borrows, do not ask back what is uh, yours. The International Q Project has has titled this section of Sayings Gospel Q, Renouncing One's Rights. And and I agree that that rights are central to this passage, but I want to emphasize that that this teaching, I don't believe, um, was a way for followers of Jesus to become uh, 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 first century doormats. Rather, it was a a tactical strategy um, for them them to use in the midst of, of being persecuted. And we discussed this persecution two podcasts ago and uh, and how we're to respond to our uh, persecutors in the last podcast. But uh, uh, this was a, a teaching in how they were to actively further their work toward a safer, more compassionate world for us all. And and that that th- th- this last element of, of how we can uh, respond nonviolently to our persecutors, um, that's, w- that's what we're looking at uh, this week. So let's let's begin as usual by looking at our, our companion text, Luke 6, 29 through 30. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask them, uh, do not ask for them again. In Matthew 5, 39 through 42, but I say to you, do not and I'm going to interject, uh, reciprocate evil toward an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and, and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Just as a side note, I'm going to put a footnote in this week's e-site on why I translate uh, enthistomai into reciprocate with evil rather than just uh, resist. Um, so you can check that out there. But uh, our last text is Thomas, uh, Gospel of Thomas 95. If you have money, do not lend it out at interest. Rather, give to the one from whom you will not get it. Back. So there's a lot to unpack in this week's passage from Saints Gospel Q, and and the list of peace activists from the last two centuries is long. And I'm going to put a link to one of the lists that exists online um, uh, in the e site. But this week's saying has been influential uh, both directly and non directly. 
in in many of of the nonviolent movements around the globe toward uh, positive social change. And some of the most well-known names in the last century uh, were Gandhi in South Africa and India and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. here in America. And and there are lesser-known names as as well, like like Dorothy Day and her nonviolent direct action on on behalf of the poor in New York City. So, So let's dive right in. As we have shared repeatedly in the past, in this passage, Jesus is teaching a bold and disruptive expression of nonviolence. It's it's a nonviolence that seeks to confront one's opponent and offer an opportunity, as we've talked about the last couple weeks, for transformation. And with each of these three examples that we're going to look at, the oppressed person is shown potential ways of of taking control of the situation, confronting their their subjugator, and actually stripping them of the power to dehumanize. And, And let me explain that. First, let me tell you also how deeply indebted I am to Walter Wink's research on the cultural background of the saying of Jesus that we're considering this week. I'll, I'll place a link to his work at the end of this section in the eSight 2 for, for further consideration, but I consider his volume, Jesus and Nonviolence, a third way to continue to be a, a revolutionary masterpiece. Matthew's version of this passage specifies that the cheek being struck is the right cheek, and as most people are right-handed, the only natural way for a blow to land on the right cheek was if the striker used the back of their hand. And you can try to visualize that or or work it out there wherever you're listening uh, to this from. But this kind of blow, this backhanded slap in, in the culture of first century Palestine was a, a show of insult from a superior to an inferior. Uh, one would not want to strike an equal in this humiliating way, because doing so actually carried a fine of up to a hundred times the normal amount. For Zeus, was the the fine for a blow to a social peer with a fist, but four hundred Zeus was the fine for backhanding one's peer. To strike someone you viewed as socially inferior to yourself with a a backhanded slap, though, was perfectly acceptable, and and no penalty was attached. And I'll give you a a link in the e-site too on on. The sources for for that information. But but try to picture the scene in your head. Since the left hand was only used for unclean tasks in in that culture, people would not strike a person's right cheek with that hand. At Qumran, the the, the gesturing to another person while speaking even using one's left hand carried a penalty of exclusion from the community that was accompanied by 10 days of penance. And I'll put a a link to that section of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the A-side as well, but it states, whoever has drawn out his left hand to gesticulate with it shall do penance for 10 days. Any blows would have either been from a closed uh, right fist with one's right hand on someone's left cheek, or a backhanded slap with one's right hand on someone's right cheek. A closed fisted blow uh, from a person's right hand on one's left cheek acknowledged that the, the striker believed the one that they were striking, again, was their social equal. And someone claiming superiority over another w- would not want to strike them in this way. They, they, they would want to use an open-handed slap with the, the back of their hand on, on the other person's right cheek as an attempt to, to add humiliating uh, the one that they were striking. 
And it was the equivalent of, of basically saying, get back in your place. And, and also keep in mind that any retaliatory blows from the person being struck by a, a superior, quote unquote, uh, would have caused that violence to escalate. But Jesus is not admonishing the oppressed in this scene, again, just to become a doormat or simply do nothing. Turning the left cheek uh, would not be retaliation, but defiance. It was a sign that the one being struck is refusing to be humiliated. The oppressor would would now only have two options presented to them, a a right-handed punch acknowledging the one being struck was their equal, or a a left-handed slap with the unclean hand. And both options would be unthinkable, and so they would would lose their their power in this situation. And something I'd like to add to to Wink's research is that this was not to be an act of self-denial on the part of the person being struck. The person being struck's self is already being denied by their oppressor. This is self-affirmation in the face of an attempt by another uh, to dehumanize them. And the next example in, in the passage involves a serious social paradigm in first century Palestine, and that's indebtedness. A, a little background first. The, the Torah allowed a creditor to take the himation, this was the outer garment, or the shaitan, which was the inner garment, as security for loans, um, uh, from the loans that were procured from the wealthy to in, to these impoverished uh, laborers. And you can find uh, this information in Exodus 22, 25 through 27, and Deuteronomy 24, 10 through 13, and verse 17. In this era, poor people had, had few clothes, and wealthy creditors um, it actually states they had to return uh, the article of clothing daily so that the owners could have their cloak to, to sleep in at night and stay warm. And in that culture, uh, debt was not the, the result of economic incompetence. It was in an, an unjust economic system where the wealthy elite took advantage of the rural peasant farmers and the poor Jewish craftsmen. And in our scenario, a poor laborer has defaulted on their loan and has come under the penalty of, of losing their next the last article of clothing. Jesus is saying, teaches this laborer to, to, to turn over not just their next to the last article of clothing, but also their last one as well. And this would leave them stark naked in the town square. And Wink explains that in, in that society, the shame of nakedness fell not on those whose nakedness was exposed, but on those who looked upon or who were the cause of their nakedness. The honorable response would have been to respectfully help them. And you can find this in Genesis 9, 20 through 27. And in a society where only the the wealthy wore something similar to to underwear, stripping off the undergarment along with the required outer garment would would, uh, redirect the shame onto the entire system by which the debtors are oppressed, as if to say, uh, shame on you. And and this teaching, it placed the poor laborer in in control of the moment. It it exposed the system of exploitation of of Jesus' fellow Jewish craftsmen and and rural peasant farmers, and and, and it shamed the powerful who take the last object of value from a, a sector of society which should be receiving their help. So here in Sang's Gospel Q, we have a, a first century endorsement of, of uh, uh, public nudity as a valid form of radical, uh, nonviolent protest. And the protest is actually designed by Jesus himself. In our next example, Jesus teaches the oppressed 
asked to, to refuse to play by the rules of the game that are dictated uh, by the controlling uh, element, the controlling party in, in uh, uh, those controlling the, the society's domination system. And Roman law allowed soldiers to command people in the occupied territories to carry their burden for one mile, but only one mile. This limitation provided some protection for the people because one could could otherwise find themselves having carried a soldier's burden for an entire day, only to end up now a day's journey away from their one's home as the sun was was going down. And yet, even this limitation, according to Jesus, was not good enough. Uh, we cannot be satisfied with merely accommodating the domination system. We must also refuse to cooperate with it. And remember King's words from last week: We cannot, in all good conscience, obey your un just laws and abide by the unjust system because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So Jesus says when you reach the end of that that first forced mile and the soldier asks for their burden, uh, don't give it back. Place the soldier in the position of breaking their own system's rules and perhaps even being disciplined for it. And in each of these examples, the subjugated must make hard choices. They must decide whether they're willing to use possible further personal suffering um, as a means to change society rather than resort to, to just mere retaliation? Are they willing to accept the consequences of, of breaking unjust laws or, or, or policies? And are they willing to, to cease cooperating with the present order and its rules? And as we asked last week, do they hope for their oppressor's transformation or are they satisfied with the, the failing practice of, of tit for tat? And if you'd like to further understand what may have been involved in, in, in this saying, again, consider reading the late Walter Wink's book, Jesus in Nonviolence, A Third Way. In this volume, Wink shows how, how Jesus' teachings offered the oppressed ways to seize the moral initiative, to find a, a creative alternative to violence, to assert their, their own humanity and dignity as a person, to meet force with ridicule and humor, to, to, to break the cycle of humiliation, refuse to submit to or accept the inferior position, expose the injustice of the system, take control of the, the power dynamic, how to shame their oppressor into repentance, uh, how to stand their ground, make the, uh, the powers uh, that are in charge, make decisions for which they're not prepared, and recognize also their own power, and force the oppressors to see um, the oppressed in a new light. And, and lastly, wink lists depriving the oppressor of a situation where a show of force is uh, effective. In this last section of, of the saying that we're looking at this week, we're reminded once again to, to trust that God will send people to take care of us when we are in need, enough to to let go of our self-concern hoarding and, and that we will be the people that God may send today to someone else who is in need. People taking care of people, remember, is what Jesus referred to as the reign of God in sayings Gospel Q, or in the canonical Gospels, the, the kingdom. And this call to trust had its own history with Jesus's Jewish culture. Hillel, one of the most important figures in Jewish history, lived somewhere between 110 B.C.E 
CE to 30 CE. He was the first within Judaism to teach what is today referred to as the golden rule. Karen Armstrong, in her excellent work, The the Great Transformation, The Beginnings of Our Religious Traditions, she writes about Hillel. She writes, perhaps the greatest of the Pharisees was Rabbi Hillel, who migrated to Palestine from Babylonia. In his view, the essence of the Torah was not the letter of the law, but its spirit, which he summed up in the Golden Rule. In a famous Talmudic story, it was said that one day a pagan approached Hillel and promised to convert to Judaism if the rabbi could teach him the entire Torah while he stood on one leg. Hillel replied simply, What is hateful to yourself, do not do to your fellow man. That is the whole of the Torah, and the remainder is but commentary. Go and learn it. The most famous of the enactments that are attributed to Hillel is the the prosbol, and, and the Torah included a rule of protection for the poor against ever-increasing debt. At the end of every seventh year, a sabbatical year, all debts among the Jewish people were to be canceled. And by the first century, even though it was forbidden to withhold a loan before a sabbatical year, you can find that in Deuteronomy 15, 9-11, some members of the wealthy elite were unwilling to lend to poor craftsmen and rural peasant farmers who needed their loans to survive. So in this context, Hillel created a loophole in the Jewish law. A declaration could be made in court before a loan was executed to the effect that the law requiring the release of debts upon the entrance of the sabbatical year would not apply to the loan that was presently being transacted. And this declaration was called the prosbol, and it benefited both the rich and the poor in that the poor could, could easily now obtain the loans that they were so desperately needing uh, whenever they needed them. And the rich would be more uh, free to, to lend with, with the assurance that, that ca- their capital that was loaned was exempted from the law sabbatical debt relief. And I'll put a link to a Jewish Encyclopedia article on the Prosbol if you'd like to, to uh, find out more about that in this week's site too. So, so where, where Jesus' teaching on the Golden Rule actually places him squarely in the teaching stream of Hillel, Jesus parts ways with Hillel on the Prosbol. And I'll I'll talk more about Jesus' relationship with the school of Hillel and the school of uh, Shammai next week. But uh, Jesus taught that that his followers should recklessly abandon their capital to aid those who need our help. And we'll study this more in detail in upcoming weeks because it it comes back up in Sang's Gospel Q. But for now, know that Jesus, for Jesus, a, a world under the reign of God looked like people trusting in God and enough to believe that God would send others to take care of them tomorrow so that they could let go of what they were hoarding for future emergencies and take care of those whose emergencies were transpiring today. Anxiety about the future, it can lead us down paths of accumulation, hoarding, greed, covetousness, jealousy, competition, and ultimately more violence. It can cause us to look the other way and and ignore those around us today who, who may be in need. But Jesus is calling us to let go of that anxiety about the future 
and all that it brings in its train, and, and, and to imagine instead a world where everyone trusts that if we all begin taking care of one another today, we'll have a future where others will take care of us. In other words, if you will take care of someone else today, you will set in motion a world where tomorrow someone else will take care of you. In the words of the sayings of Jesus held dear by those first century Jewish followers, to the one who asks of you, give. And from the one who borrows, do not ask back what is yours. Sayings Gospel Q 629-30. Heart group application this week. There are two parallel narratives we can choose to live by. And I'm going to write these down in the east side. You can go back and reference those. Um, scarcity leading to anxiety, leading to accumulation, leading to greed, leading to monopoly, and then to violence. And the second narrative is abundance leading to trust, leading to sharing, leading to generosity, leading to mutual aid and peace. Um, number one this week, I want you to ponder the words in these parallel narratives above. Look up the definitions of each word. Consider how each concept leads to the next. And, and we can live in a world where we subscribe to scarcity, believing that there's not enough to go around for everyone, so we'd better look out for ourselves, or we can live in a world where, as Gandhi is thought to have said, there's enough for every person's need, but not every person's greed. And then number two, discuss with your heart group how the worlds created by these different narratives look. How do they differ, and, and what are their costs? What are their benefits? And, and which would you rather be a part of? Number three, make a choice. Uh, this week, make a choice to do something small or large in your life that, that moves you into the narrative that you would rather live in. Uh, again, thanks for taking the time to journey with us this week as we uh, continue our consideration of saying's gospel cue. I'm so glad you are with us. Until the only world that remains is a world where love reigns. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. Even our educational seminars that we do in various venues. We are a not-for-profit religious re-education ministry. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or you can become one of our monthly contributors by going to www.renewedheartministries.com and clicking the Donate tab at the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. Make sure you also sign up for our, our free resources. And remember, every little bit helps. And, and as always, anything we receive above and beyond our annual budget, we gladly give away to other charities that are making uh, both systemic and personal differences, significant differences in the lives of the poor. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of RHM, we simply could not do this uh, without you. From all of us here at Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you.